Welcome to Pursue Ministries. You're listening to Men's Fraternity, Session 16, Man and His Life Journey. The speaker is Bill Howard. As you think about what you've heard, if you need to deal with your dad, your mom, men, mentor, uh, any issues that you're having in your own depravity, uh, that you're saying, hey, I need to uh, make myself accountable or get some guys or uh, there's some stuff I've got that's sort of eating my lunch. I need to come out of the closet and get this thing out in the open so that it can uh, not be a flesh-eating piranha to my soul or whatever it may be, okay? And then uh, it, you need to do anything with your son, your daughter, your wife, and yourself. Any adjustments you need to make with regard to your career, your work, your wife, son, daughter, that maybe you heard here that uh, and maybe you've got a child and you're going, you know what, I'm just kind of a hang loose dad. I'm just sort of bumping along and but I'm not strategic. I'm not thinking about their sexuality. I'm not thinking about the peer pressure. I'm not thinking about puberty. I'm not thinking about them really at all. I'm just sort of interacting and bumping along. Or you can go, I want to be strategic. I want to know, I want to lead my children and help them because they've never lived life. You have. And you want to say, I want to help them move through some strategic times of their life, both as a son and a daughter, to help them learn how life works. And it doesn't take tons of time, guys, but it's a strategic moment, a strategic move. And that's why I told you about the Purity Covenant and some of those sort of strategies. Uh, there's equipment out there you can grab hold of and move toward your kids with. And then uh, obviously memorize the definition of a real man. Let's do it one more time. Guys, it's reject passivity, accept responsibility, lead courageously, and expect the greater reward, God's reward. All right, guys, a man in his life journey. As we talk about this today, guys, with regard to a man in his life journey, we have a phrase here that says maps and men. What we're going to do this morning is basically map out a life journey. We're going to give you a map, a way to think about your life in a big picture in that it is a journey through various life stages, okay? And so somebody once said, if, if we don't have a map, we're just driving around. <laughs> and so the great thing about a map is that at least it gives you some direction of knowing where you are in the big scheme of things. And that's what we're going to do this morning. And it, Roman numeral two here says that all men will naturally encounter very predictable transitions in his life. Okay? Very predictable transitions, meaning that every guy is going to come to places where he's going to feel restless, uncertain, Maybe lack confidence, not sure why he's on the planet, not sure if he's doing anything worthwhile, not sure if he's good at something, going to be questioning. And sometimes those moments are more uh, in-depth, more profound, more intense than others because guys transition. It's a transitional moment for guys in life. And there was a guy that wrote a book called Seasons of a Man's Life by uh, the guy named Daniel Levinson. And he was a uh, research scientist, a social scientist, 
from Yale. He got a team of guys to work with him. And they tracked 40 men over 10 years. And each man was at a different stage in his life. In other words, they had some, you know, 18-year-olds that went to 28. And then, you know, 28 to 38 or like that. So they tracked guys at a various course. And here's what they discovered is that uh, each guy had a very predictable transition at basically four stages. And he called it spring, summer, fall, winter. And so obviously in your life, the spring is the younger, you know, birth to 17, 18. And then there's a transition. And it's, a, it's sort of a forced transition. You're leaving high school. You're leaving your parents. You got to go into college. You got to start figuring out what you're going to do. So you're forced to make a transition, right? Very normal and natural. And then a guy goes through that transition and he usually has another more minor transition uh, out of college because he goes from a, an unreal world if, he, if he's gone to college. And if he hadn't gone to college, guys, that's okay too. But there's another transition where he's going to go into really an unreal world to a real world. And then he's going to work. And then he works for about seven, eight, nine years. And then he hits around 28, 29, 30. And he starts going, I don't know if I want to keep doing this. I don't know if I want to keep working in this same position. I've got to a place where I've elevated, but this guy that's been mentoring me, I want to challenge him a little bit. I think I want to have my own company. I think I want to do my own thing. Or I'm not sure if this is what I want to do the rest of my life. I don't know if I want to be an accountant the rest of my life or an engineer or a marketing guy or a real estate developer. I want to, maybe I need to switch. You see what I'm saying? So the guy starts feeling that in his late 20s, early 30s. And then he, and that's uh, the transition guys, by the way, from spring to summer. Summer years are really the years of um, 17 to 45. And in those years, it's where a guy is just sort of working. Now, he does make that transition around his late 20s. And it, it usually it's, okay, this is what I'm going to do. And then what he does when he gets into his late 20s, early 30s, he finds something, okay, okay, this is what I'm going to do. Boy, and then he really puts his head down and goes, wow, I'm going to do this. This is it. And he works really, really hard. And he tends to get really, really focused. And it's really the most uh, what virile years of a man's life. It's when he's really working the hardest. Unfortunately, it's when sometimes he, at that point, usually in his 30s, he's now embraced a wife, he starts having kids. And the problem is he's working so hard, he's missing the one thing that's most valuable <laughs> when he gets older, and that's his wife and children. Make sense? This is the conventional manhood, by the way. And then a guy hits that next transition when he gets into the fall season of life, which is his late 30s and early 40s. And it's the proverbial, what? Midlife crisis. Because here's the deal, guys. If a guy in his late 20s, early 30s didn't make a transition or he did make the transition, and if he did make the transition and he was very successful... 
he's still going to be going, okay, so what? I worked my rear end off for what? Now, if he didn't make the transition, and now he's in his late 30s and he's going, gosh, I wish I'd have made that transition. Or he did make the transition and he wasn't successful. And he's going, man, I thought that was the right thing to do, but here I am now and it feels like the wrong thing. And, but, so he, but the point is, every guy is asking essentially the same question. Whether he's made it, quote, or not made it, or made the move or not made it, the question is, okay, so what? Now what am I going to do? And it's about this point in life where a guy's going from summer to fall. Because um, usually in your mid to late 30s, something happens to you physically. But you kind of go, I, I remember doing this, guys. I was 35 years old. I was playing basketball at the YMCA. I was in a Y League. My kids were young. And I remember I, because uh, basketball was really what I loved to do the most, even though I uh, played college athletics and football, basketball was really my passion. And so I played it. I remember I was 35 and I was on a team here and and then uh, I could play for about four minutes at a stretch. And then I just wear out. And, and my shot was good for about four minutes and then all of a sudden I lost my legs and I just couldn't get out there. And I remember sometimes shooting the ball in my mind, I was still 20. In my mind, I'd go up, and, I, and I'm 20 in my mind, but my body's not 20. And you go, how come that didn't do that like I thought in my mind it should go? And you realize it's because my body just cannot do what it used to do. And I remember distinctly feeling that. I played this one game, and I remember I had a pretty good game, and the game was over, and, and I remember Samuel was in the car, and he said, Daddy, you sure made a lot of baskets. He was probably four or five years old. And I remember telling him, I said, Samuel, you remember that because that's the last time you're gonna see daddy make a basket. Because <laughs> I remember going, I can't do it anymore. And I never played again in a competitive way like that. And it's sort of like you go, I am transitioning, I'm transitioning. And something happens, you go, dang, I'm not 20 anymore. So what happens then is you then transition, guys, and then all of a sudden you realize about 40 or so that you're not bulletproof, that you're not going to live forever. And the grave, all of a sudden you start going, is closer. I realize that uh, if I'm 40, if you double my life, that makes me 80. And I don't know a whole lot of 80-year-old guys that are really like rocking and rolling. So that means that I'm, ha I'm at least half over, possibly. And if I get uh, at 40, if you add 30 more years, it makes me 70. And you know, they, they call it the new 70. Guys seem to be a little more active at 70 now than they used to be. But 70, my father died at 74. So I'm 52. If you add 20, that makes me 72. Uh, almost uh, 20 years to when my father passed away. But I can just tell you, when my dad hit about 69, something happened to him. Now, I don't know if that's going to be me or not. But the point is, guys, is that you go, I'm going, I'm not going to be here forever, right? And so when a guy moves from 40s to his early 60s, mid-60s, 
And again, in the conventional manhood, 65 is when a guy does what? And there's another transition. And it's forced on him there. And he may not want to retire. He's going to have to retire. He, he, he's gonna, he has to retire. At least pr probably if he's working for a company or something like that. And he probably wants to retire. Maybe earlier than that. And if he does, there's going to be another transition. And that's from fall to winter. Okay? Are you with me? So, that's one way to think about life. So in a seasonal stage, each stage from the transition from spring to summer, summer to fall, fall to winter, at each of those transitional moments, 17 to 23, 24, 25, transitional. Late 20s, transitional. Late 40 or late 30s, transitional. And then again, usually in his late 50s, again, transitional. Make sense? Okay. Uh, so... The point, guys, that we want you to know, and this is what I tell women too, by the way, is that part of a wife's role in helping her husband is understanding that he will go through those very predictable transitional stages. And she might think, my husband's freaking out. And I always tell him, tell him, he's not freaking out, he's just transitioning. And he doesn't need you to say, what the heck's wrong with you? He needs you to come alongside and be a helper and support him and help him think through those transitional moments of his life. Does that make sense? Okay, uh, life stages map. Here's the one we're going to use here, this uh, life stage map. It's from another book called The Masculine Journey, written by Robert Hicks. And in this particular map, what he does is he takes six Hebrew words that define man. There's six Hebrew words that are translated into man. And each one is very interesting, guys, because each one really represents different stages of a man's life. Okay, let, let me explain it here. If you look at your map here, I'm going to fill in some ages for you, okay? Okay. And on the map, you'll discover that in the Adamic stage, the Adam, right there in the middle of your map, you can write uh, the creational stage, okay? And all I'm going to do here this morning is just go through each of these and explain them, and it'll make total sense to you on where you are. And if you got a son, it'll make sense to how you can think about him and where he is, uh, so the first stage here is Adam, the creational stage, and then the dark line underneath that, I'm going to give you an age, and that is from 0 to 20, okay? And that's essentially where a guy's going, how am I designed? Who am I? My athlete artist, good looking, average, uh, smart, average, whatever, I don't know, what am I? See, he's figuring it out, right? And then the uh, Zakar, that's the phallic stage. That's a P-H-A-L-L-I-C. If you ever heard of the term phallic, phallic symbol uh, is the idea of, it literally means protrusion. And it's referring to a man's, uh, in the reference to how guys refer to it today, it's, it's his junk in the drawer. It's his uh, penis. That's literally what it means. It's an erection. 
And, and that is from 13 to 25. And if, if you recall, at least maybe uh, in my world, I remember going through puberty and from puberty for, boy, the next few years, boy, everything is like, wow, what is this stuff all about, right? And then the uh, Gabor stage, that's the warrior stage. The warrior stage. That's where you work really hard. And that's from 20 to 40. The next stage is Enosh. And Enosh is the wounded stage. That's where you, after you've worked really hard, you realized I took some hits in the bow. <laughs> I was swinging my career sword. And I, as I realized I was swinging that career sword, I actually nicked my wife and children along the way. And I've actually I fell on my sword a few times and I've got some wounds myself. And that is from 40 to 50. And then the ish stage, that's the mature stage. And that's from 50 to 60. And that's where a guy can literally kind of begin to start thinking through life. He's not as hurried. He's not um, as anxious to try to make himself. He's pretty comfortable more now in what he is. And then ultimately, and this is the stage, is the Zakin, and that is the sage stage. You've always heard that phrase, right? It's a Hebrew term. He's a, he's a wise old sage. He's a sage, wise old man. And that's 60 plus, okay? Now, here's the key, guys, to this particular map. And that is that each of these stages, there's something new, something dynamic that will require important adjustments and self-understanding about your next stage. Without these adjustments from one stage to the next, a man will not adequately transition to the next stage. So instead of the dominant issues, the dominant issues of the previous stage will stay with him as he goes up in his age. And so they will carry forward and be unresolved as he goes into the next stage if he hasn't resolved some of the issues in his previous stage. Make sense? So, for example, uh, let's say a guy in his creational stage, he never heard from his dad, well done, good job, you are so good at. And he's kind of spent some time really figuring out who he is, what he's good at, why he's on the planet. But here's the deal, if those answers, uh, if those questions do not have answers, then see, that will carry forward. And all of a sudden, he might be 40 years old and he's still asking, who am I? What am I good at? You see what I'm saying? And he still may be working hard, really still waiting for something from his dad that says, well done. You did a great job. You're, you're the man. Make sense? Or if he's in the Zach Ken or the uh, Zach Carr stage, sexuality, he doesn't resolve those issues. And so what happens is, 
is that what you find oftentimes is that there's a guy many times that will have the appearance of growing as a man and he has the appearance of growing old but never growing up. You ever met a guy like that? It's almost like you got a guy, maybe he's 40, 50, and you're going, how come that guy still lives life below his belt? He comes to town. He's a businessman, but all I can think about is where he's going to go after work, which is down somewhere where he ought not to be, right? Because he's, he's still living life below here. He hadn't resolved the issues in the phallic stage of his life. And uh, so, does that make sense? That's kind of how it works. So let's uh, move on here. I, I remember a guy who, when I was in college, again, I, I was a, played football in college at Idaho State, and there was a guy, he was a, an alumni, he was a booster, he was an you know, investor for the university, and he uh, owned a dairy, and what he did is he would employ guys on the team from time to time to come and work for him. And everybody kind of wanted this job because it was paid very well and the work was not that bad. Basically, you just did what he wanted you to do. And he hires me, I go work for him. And in that summer is when I gave my life to Christ. I gave my life to Christ this spring, he hires me. So my life all of a sudden starts to change and I'm seeing things in a new way. And what I saw was a man who's 42, but he was drinking like a sieve. And all he could think about when we get together, it's almost like he wanted to be me. He wanted to be 20. And I think the reason why he still was a booster for the university is because he wanted to be around younger guys because he still wanted to be younger. And so he would talk to me about girls. He talked to me about drinking and he talked to me about partying. And I'm like, and I remember just sitting there. Sometimes I'm going, in my mind, I thought of you as sort of an older, wiser, more noble man. But the more I get to know you, you feel really weird. <laughs> and so here's what happens, guys. It's a sad story. And I remember working for him. And one time he came home, he went to a Ducks Unlimited banquet. And he got so drunk. And I remember uh, I was around his house because I was just did whatever he asked me. And I had to come and weed, I think, around his house. And I was there. It was about 10 in the morning. He comes out. And boy, you could tell he had a major hangover. And there was a boat motor that said Dex Unlimited on the side of the boat motor. And I remember he came out and he goes, whoa, where did that come from? He, got, he used some earthy terms. And he said, I, I must have bought that thing last night at that auction. <laughs> He's like, wow. Well, his wife came out. And she was not happy. Well, about two weeks later, I remember, he said, yeah, you remember that boat motor I bought? And I said, yeah. And he goes, he goes, that cost me more than a boat motor. I said, what do you mean? I said, well, my wife was so mad, she went and bought a diamond ring. Because if I could buy a boat motor, she thought she could do it, get a diamond ring. Now, I remember going, that's, that's strange. <laughs> well, they ended up divorcing. The next year I worked for, I worked for him the next year. They ended up going through divorce. Uh, the last I heard is Bob Rowland was uh, probably at another party, but now he's probably in his late 50s. Uh, 
he was driving his Suburban down the interstate in Idaho going back to his house and there was a snowstorm. There was a young woman from the University of Wisconsin, a college student whose car broke down. And he was drunk, didn't see her, and somehow hits her. And she's impaled on the grill of his Suburban. He carries her about 100 yards down the interstate till her body falls off. He goes home and has no idea what he did. Somebody realizes that they find that there's different things in the grill of his Suburban and find out he's the guy. And the last I heard, he was serving time in prison for manslaughter, vehicular manslaughter, because he was drunk. So there's a guy that's growing older, but he never grows up. And you probably know guys like that. Hopefully we're not like that, right? That's why we're doing this. Okay, so the six stages of a guy's life. Uh, the creational stage, Z, uh, birth to 20. And at this stage, guys, in Psalm 139, 13 through 16, uh, the Bible says that... Uh, Basically, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. I was formed in my mother's womb. And then David writes uh, that in that he was fearfully, wonderfully made. Now listen to this. And he goes, and my soul knows it very well. I love that. Isn't that great? I am fearfully and wonderfully made and my soul knows it very well. In essence... David's saying, God doesn't make junk. He made me. And he made me for a purpose. And I know what I am, and more importantly, whose I am. Okay? And so in this endemic stage uh, in life, it's important for a young man to understand how he's wired, how he's created. Remember, guys, God doesn't exist for us. We exist for Him. We are created by Him and for Him for a purpose. And Ephesians 2.10, right after that very famous passage, Ephesians 2.8-9, it says, For by grace you've been saved through faith, that it's not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. That's 2.8-9. 2.10 says, For we are His workmanship created better translation be recreated in Christ for good works so we're his workmanship and the Greek word there workmanship is where we get the word it's the Greek words poema it's where we get the word poem we are God's poem we are God's story we are God's expression and there's nobody like you you are so unique and so distinct and so wonderfully made that God's prepared beforehand works that you and I should walk in them. And so essentially, God has a caricature for every person's life. Uh, it's almost like a, 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 a tapestry. You know, if you look at the back, that's woven, you know, if you look at the front, it might have an incredible picture, but the back sort of looks like a bunch of threads and kind of a mess. That's sort of the side we see. God sees the full picture. Make sense? 
And so the phrase here is it says these good works he prepared beforehand. It says that we should walk in them. It's called the mood of ought. It's not an imperative mood, which is a command. Like husbands, love your wives. That's called imperative. It's a command, something you're supposed to do, have to do. In this one, it's called the mood of ought. It's called the subjunctive mood in the Greek. And it means this is what you ought to do. You don't have to do it. I just tell you, it's the best way to learn to live is to learn to live out how you are created. Make sense? And so it's that creational stage. It's where a guy's going, who am I? So he's, point A here, trying to evaluate his gifts and talents. So a man has to come to terms with his own createdness, not creativeness, but createdness. And that is, is he big or little, fast or slow, musical, mechanical, athletic, academic, introverted, extroverted, you know, gregarious and handsome, plain and medium. <laughs> what is he? And so in this, there's a decision that every person has to make. And unfortunately, lots of people make the wrong conclusions about their createdness. And they go, well, I'm dumb and slow and not handsome and goofy. <laughs> and that carries with him, may carry with him for the rest of his life. I'm just a goofy, dumb guy. And so what happens is when a man looks at himself and he says, I'm goofy and dumb and squatty and whatever. And he says, I'm worthless. You see that? Or he can look at himself and say, you know what? I'm created by God, formed in my mother's womb. Fearfully and wonderfully I am made. And my soul knows that very well. And so he can say, I'm extremely valuable. And in the eyes of God, he's got a canvas that he's laid out for me and prepared for me that I should walk in them. And that's what I'm going to do. Make sense? Now, I don't know if you guys got that. I didn't get that when I was younger. Uh, remember, I told you my dad was a Tell me, Dad. Uh, and meaning, tell me, Dad, something. Tell me something. Who am I? How do you see me? Am I good at anything? What am I good at? I'm not sure. I knew I had some athletic abilities and, and so on and so forth, and I was evaluating myself. But here's the crazy thing. Isn't it weird, guys? You can meet somebody. For example, you can meet a girl who might be beautiful. But when she looks in the mirror, she doesn't see that. Isn't that weird? You can look, you can meet somebody sometimes that is not very beautiful. But when you talk to them, they have the appearance and expression of being beautiful inside. Because they're confident, they're assured, they know who they are. Versus somebody who may have on the exterior a lot of things going for them, and they're not confident, they're not assured, and they're not sure who they are. And see, all, all of it has to do with what you believe about who you are. And so these questions about my createdness are questions like, okay, what is it? What am I? Uh, what does it mean? In other words, if you're smart, what do you do with that? 
If you're athletic, what do you do with that? If you're handsome, what do you do with that? If you're normal and plain, what do you do with that? And how are you used what it is that you are created to be? And more importantly, the bigger question is for whom will you use it? Um, Robert Lewis, who wrote this curriculum, tells a story about a guy at the University of Arkansas. He said he went to school with, and we probably are, we know probably people like this to some degree, but he said, I remember this guy, and uh, people made fun of this guy because he apparently got hit by a horse when he was young, got kicked in the head. And so when he was going through college, he said, I remember this guy would uh, talk. He would talk like that. And he just could hardly talk very much. And so you're thinking he's not very smart. Well, it turns out the guy's really smart. And so he goes through college and apparently he goes on and gets his master's degree and he ends up going through Harvard, gets his master's from Harvard. And then he goes on to New York and he becomes uh, the president of a major corporation in New York City. And he still talked like that. And now everybody says, yes, sir. <laughs> right? Because he didn't let, he had a sense of who he was and who he's created to be. Right? And sometimes you have other guys that you go, man, they got everything going for them. And they just... They're addicted, they're obsessed, they're compulsive, they're irresponsible, they're, they don't get it. Right? That's the idea. So, it's a place then, guys, with regard to our createdness, point B, that comes acceptance and development or confusion and missed opportunity. And that's where a man... Uh, a young man accepts and develops into manhood along the lines of our createdness, which is the key to a good start. And parents are critical at this stage, by the way, because the key is that our child must understand what their bent is, and so do we. That's why the Bible says in Proverbs 22.6, Proverbs 22.6 is this, Train up a child in the way he should go, and he will not depart from it. Uh, or another reference is train up a child, and this way he should go, train up a child according to his bent, is the literal translation. Or, I can say it this way, paraphrase, train up a child according to his createdness, and he will not depart from it. So what it means then is I need to understand how he's created, how my child's created, how they're wired. Now, here's where you get in trouble as a parent. If you're an athlete and your child's an artist, for example, you go, I want my son to be an athlete because that's what I was and that's what it's, my whole family been doing that. <laughs> Dang it, he needs to be an athlete. What's his problem? You're not a real man. You need to... Get out there and tough up. And so his kid gets out there and he's trying to figure out, <laughs> just not, I want to do it, but ah, it's not my passion. I don't feel like it's why I'm here on the planet. So what does it do for his soul? It creates what? Confusion. Confusion. I don't know if you remember, there was a dad who was the father of a guy who, I can't remember, his name is... Jakowski or something. And he ended up playing for the Oakland Raiders. 
Yeah. Well, if you know anything about that guy, his father was absolutely obsessed. He was obsessed with his son being a quarterback. And if you listen to him, he'd go, that's not what I, I, I didn't want to do that. That's not what I wanted to do. You see what I'm saying? And so here's the son. By the time he gets the, he makes it all the way to the NFL and he finally goes, that's not what I want to do. Isn't that crazy? There was a great, I watched it last night. He, he did? He, That's wild. The Raiders, he was with the Raiders and they beat the Giants in one of his first starts. And yeah. He said, after that game, he said, I've done all I ever wanted to do, which was please the old man. That's what he wow. said. Done all I wanted to do, which is to please the old man. Please the old man. He, he literally just quit. Self-destructed. Got yeah. Drugs and yeah, fell apart. Yeah, there you go. That's the guy. Thank you. That's amazing. You just watched that. Um. But that's the idea, guys. You see that? And so it's important to figure out. Now, he may have been in rebellion against who he was. I don't know. That's between him and his creator. But the point of it is, is that it's where a guy has to come to resolution with why he is who he is and why he's made the way he's made. And so that's where we have to figure out what our bent for our child is. Raise your child up according to that bent. Train up your child according to that bent, and they will not depart from it. That's what it means. Okay? Okay. And then the phallic stage is the next stage. That is 13 to 25. Uh, Zakar is the word for the phallic stage. It means protrusion. Protrusion. And it's literally speaking of the male genitalia. Literally. And so... uh, it is where a man, point A here, finds his sexual energy. It's where all of a sudden you go, wow, there is something going on in me. Now, if you remember, when a woman hits puberty, uh, she starts to go into a cyclical mode. And see, for her, that's why we always said young girls, daughters are more stable than boys, because all of a sudden they go into that mode and... and they start thinking, I know why I'm on the planet. I want to be a mom. I want to be a wife and a mom. And so uh, there's a health to that because there's a natural transition where she will naturally feel some of her createdness. Now, see, when a boy hits puberty, boom, this testosterone starts firing off. And all of a sudden, he has a protrusion. He's going, what is that? What's that for? What am I here? I don't know. All I know is I like girls. And so guys go on the hunt, right? And so it's a crazy time in life. And so what happens is that it's a very high sexual energy. And so a man has a choice when he hits this period of his life and that is that these energies can dominate him dominate him he cannot here's what the world says a young man cannot control himself and so put a helmet on that soldier right because you can't control that soldier he's going to go out there that's what the world says 
And so, uh, or a young man can understand that these energies can be channeled into more productive ends because of what he knows about life and what he believes about life with regard to his creator. And that this package, and the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 7, a woman's body, a wife's body, is her husband's. And he has authority over her body. By contrast, a man's body is his wife's. She has authority over his body. And so the essence then, guys, is what that's saying is that your body is really not yours. It's reserved for somebody else. Our body is created for somebody else. So it's not for self-pleasure. It's for somebody else's pleasure and accomplishment. It's 1 Corinthians 7, probably verse 3 or 4. Does that make sense? And so the idea then, guys, is that uh, our sexuality has a place. It's appropriate when anchored by truth. It's transcendent with regard to loving and giving our life to a woman and leaving a legacy of destiny. Call our children. And over the long run, this sexuality can become a very positive spike or a dominant identity. And that a guy can't get over it. Robert Hicks said, I've met men in their 50s and 60s who still think life is lived below their belt most of the time. I remember one young man that I work with when I served with Campus Crusade at Washington State University. And we were talking about some of the issues of sexuality and, and how our sexuality can affect our mind. And he, I remember he said, you know what? I got to learn. He, I mean, he looked at me and he, said, he goes, Bill, he said, I got to learn to think with my big head and not my little head. <laughs> I thought it's pretty good, right? Because too many guys think below their belt. And so... Uh, One young man asked an 80-year-old pastor about lust. And he said, Pastor, he said, when do you get to the place where you don't struggle with lust anymore? And the 80-year-old pastor said, I don't know, somewhere beyond 80. (laughs) Right? It's just there. And so it can become point B, mastery or enslavement. Mastery or enslavement, that's the choice. So sex must find its place but not become our identity. And the mastery of sex, rather than being mastered by it, is the chief call to authentic manhood. Uh, Guys, if you got your Bibles, turn to 1 Thessalonians (coughs) chapter 4. And in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, by the way, uh, all the T's are together. You'll see... First, uh, Second Timothy, Titus, and uh, right before there is First and Second Thessalonians. But First Thessalonians four, I want you to see here uh, four one through eight. I'm just going to read this so you can see the understanding of your sexuality and how to manage this. Finally, Paul writes to the people in Thessalonica, brethren, we request and exhort you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us instruction. 
as how you ought to walk and please God, just as you actually do, that you may excel still more. For you know what commandments we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, which means to be set apart. See, the world says, no, you're not, you're not any different. You, you have to do this. You, you're sexual and you can't control it, so just go ahead and go with it. But he says, no, that's not the will of God. The will of God is that you're set apart, and that is that you abstain from sexual immorality. That each of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor. Not in lustful passion like the Gentiles who do not know God. See, that's normal. What's natural is just go with it. Verse 6. And that no man transgress and defraud his brother in the matter. Because the Lord is avenger of all these things. Just as we also told you before and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us for the purpose of impurity, but sanctification. To be different, to be set apart. Consequently, he who rejects this is not rejecting man, but the God who gives his spirit to you. Pretty direct, right? By the way, the defrauding here is uh, you transgress your brother in this matter where in the idea of being in a relationship with someone of the opposite sex, you lead a person to a place that you are not... Um, Equipped nor legally ready to satisfy a desire. See, sexual immorality in the context here is sex outside of marriage. And so it's leading somebody to a place. Let's say you're a guy and you're leading a, a person to a place. And then all of a sudden you begin to use them for your own sexual desires. But you've never committed. You're not married. That's, that's the idea of defrauding. You've not, and that's why it goes on in 1 Corinthians 7 to say, if you struggle with this, then you need to get married. Better to marry than to burn with passion. He's not saying to marry anybody, but he said, if it's a struggle, then you need to get married, either that or quit defrauding your brother. Does that make sense? That's the idea. Okay. Um, and that's part of this, this phallic stage. Now, I know a lot of these guys in here are married, right? Some of you aren't. Point three. And by the way, guys, uh, this view and practice of our sex can either be a healthy part of our life or become uh, like a piranha eating through the fabric of your life. It's just uncontrollable. Point three. The warrior stage, 20 to 40. That is uh, a place where a man finds great strength. It's where he goes, okay, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to work really hard. And Proverbs 20, 29 says the young man's glory is his strength. The glory of a young man is his strength. And so it's a place, point A, to drive, to establish oneself. It's where a man has his maximum energy. And it's where he fights through life to be powerful well-known, wealthy, partner, head surgeon, something, whatever it might be. He wants to be the man, okay? So he's working real hard to do that. 
And this time is marked by strength and courage and willpower, but often not wisdom. And so uh, there's a phrase somebody once said, nuclear power unharnessed is destructive. And a man who might be powerful during the stage, <clears throat> but he's unharnessed, he's not led, he's just going for it, uh, can be very destructive. Uh, Ephesians 5, 15 through 18 uh, talks some about this. If you want to write that passage down. Uh, point B, then, in this time of great energy where a man is working really hard, uh, life in the fight, what does it look like? Well, it's where a guy can do lots of things right, but he, he may not be doing the right things. Okay? He may do lots of things right career-wise. He may become very successful, but he didn't do the right things. That's why Jesus, if you remember one time, said, what does it profit a man? What does it profit a man? He gained the whole world and forfeit his soul. You see that? In other words, he can do a lot of things right and profit from the world and forfeit his soul. See, he did a lot of things right, but he didn't do the right things. And so this time of life is so important. And unfortunately, guys, uh, it's where oftentimes men, as we grow, uh, we become negligent to the right things. Because the only way you'll know the right things, I, all I can tell you, is this has to be a rich part of your existence. If your life is not harnessed by truth, you'll be like a wild stallion. Lots of energy trying to figure out which way to go. And you might be trampling on some people, but you might be running the race, you might be winning the race, but you're not led. You're just going for it. But the question is, what is it? And more importantly, for whom are you going? And see, if a guy's not being led, if he's not following, that means he's just bumping around doing his own thing and he might be profiting and gaining from the world but forfeiting his soul. It's very important to stay connected to Christ. That's all I can tell you. Especially in these years. Because life in the fight is where a guy is fighting to ascend to be uh, in the corporate world, the social ladder, and see he puts his head down and it's sort of like he just is not looking. <laughs> he just is going. And so his strength keeps him successful. And success keeps telling him he's okay. As long as I'm making money, I'm looking around. I, I, as far as I can tell, that money's telling me I'm doing pretty dang good. Right? That's telling me I'm doing pretty good. So he keeps going, going, going. And so what happens is, uh, along the way, however, usually when he gets into his mid to late 30s, he starts going, I think I'm bleeding somewhere. <laughs> I got some stuff that's tagging onto me. I got some behavior patterns. I've got some stuff I'm doing. I've got a wife that's going, honey, where in the heck are you? And my kids are going, dad, I don't know who you are. I just know that you're there, but who are you? Start feeling that, and, and you see what I'm saying? 
But I remember when I played football, uh, you know, life in the game is you get hurt, you know, and if you've ever played any kind of aggressive sport like that, you, you know, you're literally, guys are launching their bodies into yours. Bam! You go, wow, that hurts. But I gotta get up and go. And uh, I've got a, you see that thumb right there? Still broken. Uh, I remember my, it was my last football game in high school. This guy was running around the side. I was a free safety. I mean, this guy, and I was, a, you know, you kind of come at an angle, get the, push that guy to the side. I'm the last guy. This guy's fast. I remember going, wow, that guy's fast. <laughs> I'm chasing this guy. I just jump and I grab him, and his foot hits my hand just like that. Boom. That's, that's the only hand I touched him with. And he tripped him, but he broke my, he broke my thumb and dislocated my thumb. It's called Bennett's Fracture. And I remember I flew into the sideline, crashed in there. I get up and go, dang, that hurt. Ah, you got to keep going. And I was also a tailback, and I remember it just taped it up. And I played the whole game with a broken thumb, and I remember, uh, man, when they hit my hand, I go, wow, that hurt. <laughs> but you keep going. You just keep going. You see that? And so life in the fight in this 20 to 40 years, you go, I'm taking hits, I'm getting wounded, but I'm going to keep going. And success tells you, keep going. And you quit looking around, but then you kind of wake up and you go, wow, I need to deal with some stuff. And that's where you move into the next stage, which is the Enosh stage, and that's the wounded stage. And uh, the wounded stage is 40 to 50, and that's where a man hits a powerful reevaluation. And that's where a guy starts going, you know what, um, I have got some stuff that I've done um, and it's a powerful reevaluation where he finally pulls his head up from the current of his career he starts looking around and he realizes he does have some woundedness, he does have some stuff that he's gotten into, maybe some stuff that from the previous stages, maybe it's creational, phallic sexual stuff, he's got some stuff going on from the previous stages that are still unresolved. And all of a sudden they start rearing their big old heads and he starts feeling it. And so uh, a man may have fulfilled dreams, but they're too early. Maybe he's had success at 35 and he's got more money and knows what to do with. And he finds himself at 40 going, I do not have a clue why I'm on the planet. Or maybe he doesn't, but he's still saying, now what? Or he's lost the wife of his youth and family, and he's saying, now what? Or his kids are gone now. Uh, he gets into his early, mid-40s. Kids are gone, or, or they're gone to the place in the teenage world where they don't want to be with him, and he's going, now what? Um, so what a man can do, and often does, is he sues the pain, because that's what he's feeling. His pain. He's feeling an emptiness, a loneliness, a disconnect, a sense of going, I'm not sure if I'm significant. I'm not sure if I've really made an impact in the world. Again, he may be successful, he may not. And see, money does not answer that question, guys. I'm just telling you, I've been doing what I'm doing a long time, and I've met guys who have money and guys who don't. doesn't make any difference. Sometimes guys that have more money than they can know what to do with, and they, they're, they're as empty as empty could be, still asking the same question. Because money's not gonna answer that for you. 
And so they realize that what they do today is not because of their createdness, but because there were external forces telling him to do what he's doing. For example, like that football player. I just am doing it to please the old man. <laughs> That's why I'm doing it. And all of a sudden he goes, I don't want to do that anymore. I do not want to do that anymore. See, but now when you hit 40, you go, well, what do I want to do? Ah. And so it's a time of renewal or rut. And there is a universal truth, men, and that is that every man is dealing with a certain level of woundedness. Every guy. Trust me. And it's not a unique experience for a few men, but it's common to all. Every guy is going to feel this to some extent. Where he's wounded by his past growing up, he's wounded by a lifestyle of foolishness, uh, he's wounded by hopes that have failed, he's wounded, if nothing else, by his own depravity. Because most of the issues, remember, are not outside of me, it's inside of me. And so there's a place where a guy, and this is a great place for a man, where he starts going, I got to grab something besides me. I'm tired of me. And all I can tell you is in my world, which is evangelism, it's where it's the, one of the greatest harvest fields right now. Because guys are going, I, got, I need something else. I'm not working. And see, the crazy thing is, there's just nobody out there helping these guys figure it out, right? And so I just tell you, there's a lot of guys out there that are, may drive nice cars or be in nice offices or whatever, but they're all going, not everybody, but a lot of guys are going, I don't, it's not working for me. And so they're looking for something else, and namely that's God. Um, so, that's where a man can make some adjustments so he can either regress at this point, go back to his past, try to live out his youth. He can rage, get really mad. I hate this. I hate that. Or he can rearrange and make adjustments. Okay? And it could be a time of renewal. And if he does make those, then he'll move to the mature stage, point five. And that is the ish. It's the, ish means spiritual. It's a spiritual place. It's where a man finds peace with God and as he finds peace with God, he begins to experience the peace of God. And he reflects on who he is and who's the ruler of his soul. And he knows it's God. And so he's no longer driven by wounds of the past, external expectations, or the thoughtlessness of youth. He's now driven by a spiritual vision of life with eternal significance. I'm just telling you, not many men enter this stage. I just tell you a guy that I know in this room who's entered that stage. I've watched him enter the stage. That's that guy right back there in the blue shirt. <laughs> John McClellan. And uh, John is in a cool stage of life. Just a spiritual maturity that uh, he has gone through to where now I see him resting comfortable in his own skin and looking to give his life away to other people. It's just a, it's a great place to be. But not a lot of guys will get there. And it's where there's a deeper meaning to life where a man recommits his life to core values and understanding why he's on the planet. 
And so in Psalm 23, David writes, the Lord is my shepherd. Think about that. This is, this is a 50-year-old man in mature stage. The Lord, the Lord, not me, God, is, not was, not will be, present tense, is. Not yours, mine. He's my shepherd. I shall not want. You see, when you're younger, guys, you just want, don't you? I want, 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 want. And we, boy, we, it can be a driving force to a man's soul. And he's trying to get something he thinks he wants, but he's not sure what it is. But ultimately, you know what it is, guys? It's God. It's a very deep, intimate relationship with the creator of your soul. Because that's what God wants. God wants you. He wants you to know him, to rest in him, to grow with him, and to be a part of what he's doing on the planet. He wants you. The Bible says God is a jealous God. He is. And so a man, if he moves through life, can come to a place where he goes, you know what? That's true. That's why Solomon, if you ever read Ecclesiastes, it's the book of vanities. You know how he ends it? He says, remember the God of your youth. Remember the God of your youth. Because everything else is vanity of vanities. It's all vanity. But the one thing you need to not forget, young man, is the God who created you. Because he longs for you and it's where you'll find peace and contentment and value and significance. Does that make sense? And so uh, point B, uh, there's some strategic moves this guy can make in mentoring. Where guys now start heading to home. He's shooting straight. He's on stage for God. He speaks with wisdom because he's been there, done that. <laughs> and here's the thing, guys. A guy doesn't have to have a perfect life. He just has to have a life where now he's readjusted himself and rearranged himself to the creator of his soul. And so he can mentor with incredible vision. And then six, the sage stage. That's the Zakin. This is where these men, point A, are the standard bearers. The Bible says in Proverbs 20, 29. Remember, it says the glory of a young man is his what? Strength. The glory of an old man is his gray hair. It's his wisdom. That's the glory of an old man. And so his experience, his life experience. That's why, guys, if you don't have a mentor, if you're a younger man, you need to get a mentor. You need to get somebody who's older that uh, may have not lived a perfect life, but he's older. Meaning he's got more experience and it's good to have that guy in your life. Uh, so... Unfortunately, our world doesn't have a model for these men, do, do we? Isn't it amazing? I mean, think about it. Where in the heck are these guys? Think about it. Where are they? You know where they are? They're in country clubs all over America, in the middle of nowhere, living in some nice house, playing golf every stinking day. And they're empty souls, hollow shells of men who've been dumbed down 
to a worldview to think that retirement is the glory years. Are you kidding me? See, I think, you know, I hope that when I'm older, I'm still doing this. I'm still helping guys. I'm still trying to get guys connected to Christ. Because you know what? When it's all said and done, it's God whom we're going to be with. And the only thing that lasts forever is people. And to think that uh, if I were the enemy, I'd say, hey, listen, when you get to be 65, just check out. And go be a hedonistic person. Take all your money and explore life for yourself. That's what the world says. And that's where those guys are. There are no-shows, right? Because we don't have a place for them, unfortunately, in our culture. And so, but realistically, guys, point B, the special contributions is when a man uh, gets older, uh, it's where he can make some of his greatest contributions to the world. So what happens is, for example, great artists were most prolific before 60. But you know when their masterpieces were created? Da Vinci was after 60. It was after 60. And so it's where a guy goes, you know what? Now I can really make it happen. I know exactly what I want to do. And so point C, then the last thing this guy can do is leave a legacy. And that is that he can remind younger men of their importance of life. And then he can help them pass through these different stages. You know, who are you? What's your sexuality for? What, how are you going to manage your work in this Enosh stage? You know, when you take some few hits in the vows, let me help you work through that so you can have a renewal and not a rut. So that you can move on to this spiritual place. That you can see life bigger than yourself and start giving it away. And head to home. Because that's where we're all going. Some sooner than later. Right? That's it. That's life. So hopefully that gives you at least, guys, some sense of direction for your life. Does it help you? At least it gives you a map, right? And so the point is, is you want to think through these stages. Okay, creational. Do I know why I'm here? My sexuality. How, how's that working for me? Is that mastering me or am I managing that? Uh, your work in this stage of your life. Um, how are you managing that? Are you working too hard? I remember a friend of mine is a great friend, and he, we were sitting down one time, and he just came to like a wall. He's hit a wall. He's probably 38, real successful, just hit a wall. Got very depressed. And I'll never forget going to his office and sitting down, and he told me, he said, Man, Bill, he goes, I get up at 3 30, 4 o'clock in the morning, and I'm thinking about my work. And I remember asking him, I said, why? <laughs> I'll never forget. He looked at me and he goes, I don't know. <laughs> I've never thought about it. You see that? That's why you want a map. That's why you want to do your manhood plan. That's why you want to at least somehow evaluate. Remember a Greek philosopher said, an unexamined life. An unexamined life is a life not worth living. I'm saying you kill yourself, but unfortunately, guys just are like pinballs in a pinball machine. You just bump around. 
but we can be more strategic. That's what this is all about. All right?